Well, you know that summer is a time for entertainment. You know that you can go to DePair Park, sit on the grass, listen to some live music, go to the plaza in Kirkwood, do the same. And you know that this is a big season for movies. You know that uh, there's a new Superman on the scene. Apparently, he's somewhat like Jesus. That's kind of exciting. I remember, I'll always remember Christopher Reeve, you know, as the Superman, his little Superman curl. Uh, so every generation, there seems to be a new Superman. If we could go to the slides now, that'd be great. So also this summer, one more slide, we saw this guy entertaining us last Sunday, Nick Walenda. He, uh, he does this kind of thing for fun. It's his life's mission to walk these uh, tight ropes. He's walked Niagara. This was done last Sunday near the Grand Canyon. And you know that um, this guy is an interesting man because this is what he said. Next slide, please. Why do you do this, Nick? I listened to the interview after this walk, and he said, I'm carrying on a legacy. I mean, this, this is in my blood. It, it truly is. After seven generations, it's in my blood. It's such a huge honor to carry on the legacy. Now, this event, it's like a big, giant softball for preachers. I mean, this one is so easy. I could just milk this illustration for all it's worth. Here he is. He's walking. He's got his microphone in one ear. It's his father. And in the other ear, he has the money makers, the Discovery Channel. And he's walking. You know, his dad's like, you're doing fine, son. You're doing fine. He's like, dad, I don't know. And on the other hand, he's like, hey, Nick, how's it going up there? He's like, it's windy. And so here he is doing this walk. But I'm not going to milk this illustration for all it's worth because I don't know about you, but my Christian faith is not walking on a tightrope because I've fallen off way too many times and have gone splat. My Christian faith is more like I'm standing on the rock. That is Christ. And I get knocked off a whole lot and he puts me right back up there. That's what it's like for me. But what I am intrigued by is what he says about what he's doing. I'm intrigued why he does what he does. I'm carrying on a legacy. This is just in my blood. Because if you're like me, it's easy to lose sight sometimes of why we do what we do. Why is it that I'm committed to this Christian life? Integrity, morality, church life. Why, why am I doing these things? Why am I saying that I'm committed to knowing a God of the universe? And I'm committed to eternal life. I'm committed to... Uh, uh, longing for these things. And even when I fall off so much and I go splat and it doesn't seem to matter, it's so easy to feel just frustrated. And why, why do I even try? You ever feel that way? And those are just the things I tell myself. We go to the next slide. We live in a culture. We breathe the air. We drink the water. That's just rife with uncertainty. This comes from the last, you know, two weeks of news. We see this is Syria. So as John was praying, the world seems to be in chaos. Syria is in chaos. And that's about the most tame image I found. It's really hard to look at the children of Syria right now. Of course, we have this landmark Supreme Court decision. Paula Dean, I don't know what your little Dutch oven is worth anymore. Paula Dean's being dropped like a hot potato. The, uh, 
the whistleblower, what's he doing to our uh, national security versus, you know, basic liberties? One of my favorite tight ends turns out uh, kind of got arrested and charged with murder. I'm a Patriots fan a little bit, sorry. I went to seminary in Boston, though I'm from Seattle. So uh, we don't have, uh, our football team is heartbreaking. So, and then of course, you know, the Cardinals, I mean, they're one game behind Pittsburgh for, you know, the best record in baseball. So, I mean, how can you feel like your life is uh, uh, together when all of this is going on in the world? It's very easy to feel uncertain. And this is exactly the situation that the Hebrew Christians were facing in the book of Hebrews. They were in a topsy-turvy world. They had made a good go at their Christian faith, and they're kind of shrinking back a little bit. They're wondering, man, this is just quite hard and difficult and uncertain. And that is why I'm impressed by someone like this Nick Wallenda guy, the tightrope man. In a topsy-turvy world, he says, no, no, despite all this that's going on, despite my personal feelings, I'm, ro- I'm walking this wire. In fact, he said this. He said, my life is on a wire. Everything else is just waiting. And it's like, hey, Nick, what did your wife say when you came home after you, you know, <laughs> after you said that? Uh, anyway, but, but so much is his purpose focused on walking this wire. That's exactly what Hebrews chapter 11 says about faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is a famous chapter about by faith, Abraham and Moses and Sarah. This morning, we're going to look at Abel. And the hallmark of this chapter is faith. And when I'm talking about faith, I'm not talking about this puffed up hot air in your chest, like, all right, leap of faith. I'm going to do, so I'm going to take a big nosedive off this stage and maybe someone will come and catch me. That would be blind faith. That would be silly faith and stupid faith. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about. This faith is objective. It's actually substantive. Hebrews uh, 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what's interesting about Hebrews 11 is faith's not even personal. It's not Nathan's faith or Abraham's faith or Isaac's faith or Sarah's faith or Abel's faith or Tom's faith or anyone's faith. It's actually faith. Faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And it's by faith we follow him. It's actually the the substance. I mean, it's in our DNA that makes us do what we do. That's the subject of Hebrews chapter 11. And so we're going to look at Abel, the Abel story in verse 4. And we're going to learn that in faithful worship, because the story is about Abel worshiping, in faithful worship, we know, we know that God is working. In faithful worship, we know that God is working. And when I say faithful worship, I'm not talking about coming to Sunday at Green Tree faithfully meaning timely or regularly. That's not what I'm talking about, faithfully. I'm saying as a matter of faith in who God is and what he's done, this God of the universe who loves me, this infinite, eternal, beautiful God, my belief in him, that's why I worship him. Faithful worship. In faithful worship, we know that God is at work. And when we know God is at work, we can take courage We can take courage to know that someone's on the job. Someone's on the throne. So William Lane, this commentator, says this. Faith is thus an effective power directed toward the future. It springs from a direct personal encounter with with the living God. The forward-looking capacity of faith enables an individual to venture courageously into the future. 
supported only by the word of God. Please read with me Hebrews 11, uh, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Jesus said that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please pray with me. God, as we open your word this morning, we're humbled, we're harassed, we're frustrated. Sometimes we're extremely broken and confused. Uh, Sometimes we're riding on a high, it seems, and you've sustained us and supported us all week, and we're feeling great. No matter our condition this morning, whether someone knows you, someone's interested in you, whether someone knows, doesn't know why they're here, we know that you uh, have no accidents and that we are all here for the purpose that you've designed. And I pray, God, that your word would go forth. We praise you for bringing us into the Christian faith, those of us who know you. We are born of your spirit by your grace alone. We are unworthy, and yet your love for us is great and wonderful. Please encourage us now and listen to listen and respond as you want us to. Let us understand what it means to worship by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when we worship by faith, in faithful worship, we know that God is at work. This is our great source of courage. So right before Hebrews chapter 10, I'm not just going to paraphrase it, I would like you to read Hebrews. That would be great. It takes 45 minutes. I timed it. Start to finish, it takes 45 minutes. It'd be a great thing to do this afternoon. But right before our verse in chapter 10, he says, you need courage. You're shrinking back from, from what you used to do before. You, you need courage. And you know what? We're not like those who shrink back. We're not of those people. We are of faith. He quotes Habakkuk 2.2, the just shall live by faith. And then Hebrews 11 starts, by faith we know that the world was created at God's power. That those people of old who loved him and worshipped him obtained a testimony from God. And here we are in 11 verse 4. By faith, Abel worshipped. Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. See, in faithful worship, we know that God is at work. So what does this look like? What did it look like for Abel? Well, first, faithful worship allows us to offer our very best to God. It's by faith that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. This references the Genesis story in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. Let's just go there, get some more detail. So it came about in the course of time, Cain and Abel, son of Adam and Eve, after they rebelled in the garden, if you remember, it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, for Abel and his offering. So we know what happens is Cain gets jealous and he ends up killing his brother. And the Genesis story kind of puts the microscope on Cain and his response. But Hebrews puts the microscope on Abel and his offering. And throughout Christian history uh, and Jewish history, rabbis and Bible commentators have speculated, why is it that Abel's offering was better than Cain's? And on the surface, we can make some observations. 
You see, the Hebrew for, you know, the offering of Cain was some fruit from the ground. Maybe it fell, maybe it was three days old. We don't know. Some fruit from the ground. Abel's offering was firstlings, the very first of what he had. And, you know, they didn't have uh, paper money in the same way that we have it now. They didn't have bank accounts. Your, your money was your trade, what you had, what you owned, what you could produce. And so the very best of what Abel could produce, the firstlings of his flock, and not only that, the, fat, the fattest part of them, you know, you want a well-marbled piece of meat. That's good. That's nice and juicy. That's what he gave to God. And in those times, a sacrifice of this kind, this was how they worshipped. This was how they worshipped God. So Abel's worship, his sacrifice was better than Cain's. But that's just on the surface, you see. We don't want to confuse the chicken, you know, with the egg. It's not that here's Abel in all his gusto and steam uh, decides to give God a better offering and God says, hey, nice job. No, Hebrews, in, uh, Hebrews 11, our passage, interprets this for us. It says, by faith, he offered a better offering. You see the difference? It's when you have faith, you'll give the best. When you have faith, you'll give the best. Not give the best so that God could somehow say, hey, I see you're really trying here. You gave more than this person, so you, know, you get better from me. We're not going to pay God back. Let's just erase that right now. We're not going to pay God back. It's actually God puts something in us, the substance of faith, and we work out what he put in. You see, faithful worship, in faithful worship, we will see God work. And in faithful worship, we, it allows us to offer our best to God. Even if Abel had offered the exact same thing, even if Cain had offered the exact same thing that Abel had, it would have been the same response if he didn't have faith. The faith was the issue. And of course, we don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in faith. Like somehow this, this great faith, we get whatever we want. That's where the health and wealth gospel folks go wrong. Rather, faith always points to the sufficiency of God. It, appoint, it, it points to the beauty of God. It's that, God, you are worth so much. That's where we get worship from, worth Ship, if, if you're here going through the motions, if you're doing these Christian things going through the motions, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if that pleases God at all. I, I, maybe you should just stop. I, I don't know what value there is other than the show of it maybe, or maybe I uh, cross this off the list. No, it's really showing worth to God. It's just telling the truth. God, you're everything to me. You provide everything. The world is yours my time, my possessions, anything I can do, anything I have is yours. It's yours. And that is worship. You see, real worship costs something. It costs something. Let's get personal for just a sec. Do I give God my life? Or do I give him two hours on a Sunday? When I give money, do I give pocket change? Or do I give in faith? God, this, I, I, I think this is the right amount to give. It seems kind of crazy, but I believe you're in charge. And, and I, I pray for this. Where, where it's going to, let them use it wisely. But, it, but it's, it's your money anyway. So here, that's faith, you see. Is my trust and my belief in the greatness of God, in the value of his kingdom, more important than what I want to keep for myself? Would my wife and children say that I worship at home? 
would they say, there's a man of faith. There's a man who worships and follows God. I hope so. And I'll confess to you, there's some mornings, there are some days in my house, mornings in particular, uh, where they might say no. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm just going to be totally vulnerable for a sec. I think it was a Sunday or some kind of holy day. I did something very holy that day. And I went home and I was extremely tired, super tired. And uh, oh, it's a holiday weekend. Some, something like no one should be working on that day. And there's a guy comes to my door, you know, some poor, underpaid young man, you know, wanting to sell something. And I kind of let him have it right in front of my kids. Man, I just felt like I should quit being a pastor. I should, oh, I let him have it. And he went away scared. Just kind of like, why are you working on this day? Who is making you work today? That's crazy. Get out of here. I mean, it wasn't much nicer than that. And uh, right after that, I just boomed. So just guilt-laden. I was like, that's the completely wrong thing to do. <laughs> completely. I went to my wife and my kids and said, did you see the way I treated that man? That was wrong. I ran out of the house in my socks to try to find him. Here he was just, you know, and I found him, and I apologized. And I just put out my hand and said, sir, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I'm sorry. So I have these troubles. You know, it's, it's not perfect. But that, that feeling afterward of, will my children say that I worship based upon the way I just ripped that guy? Are we, rather, when we come to worship, like uh, what C.S. Lewis describes, we're like a person paying their taxes. And by worship here, I'm just talking about our life, not just about putting money in the, in the uh, pot over there or the little church building over there, just talking about our life. Are we what C.S. Lewis calls a good man trying to pay their taxes, just hoping that then at the end of the day, there's a little left for me to live on, right? I'm just going to go to church, yeah, three hours, good. You know, baseball game starts at one. I'm good to go there. Um, yeah, you know, I'll throw the church at 10 or 20, you know, good every once in a while. We're fine. But, you know, I'm going to keep my boat, no problem. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with boats and baseball games. I'm just saying there's a difference here. Are we like someone paying their taxes to God and then hoping in the end there's something to live on? Or rather, is Jesus the CEO? Does he have power of attorney? Is he the lone shareholder? Hey, when he wants to take me to a baseball game, that's fine. How do you know the difference? Well, sometimes you've got to work that out with wisdom. What's the difference between someone treating me or like, you know, I bought a canoe, for instance. Wasn't sure if it was right to own a canoe. I wanted a canoe for like 10 years. But when I realized I could save a bunch of money taking my kids on a cheap canoe in the lake as opposed to, you know, renting a canoe, going to a camp, I'm like, I think this is good, right? I think it's okay. This is a way for me to worship, for me to spend time with my kids, for me to recreate in this great state of Missouri. This is cool. But I, you see, the difference is I'm, I'm seeking God. I'm not, here you go, God. I kind of paid you the two pittance kind of appease the old man in the sky, and then now I get to, you know, now I'm on my, my thing. That's not what we're talking about here. Real worship costs something. You see, in faithful worship, we see God working. And unless we see God working, we're going to poop out. We're not going to make it. It's just too discouraging. You just fall off the tightrope way too much, and you go splat. We need to see that God is working. But there is a cost, isn't there? There's a hope. There's a waiting sometimes. There's a, this looks kind of crazy. This, there's a, I'm not sure what my employer is going to think. 
if I follow God in this way. I'm not sure what my wife and my children are going to think. I'm going to look stupid, right? It costs something to really worship God as the all-important, most wonderful, beautiful presence in our lives. It will cost something. Sometimes we have to suffer through without an answered prayer, and we still say, I will praise him. God gives, God takes it away. I'm still going to praise him. I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to wait. There's something powerful about that. That's wonderful. When in faithful worship, we know that God is at work because we can give our best. We can give our best. So at this point, you might be asking, well, great, wonderful. Cost me everything. Sounds wonderful. How am I possibly going to do that? And as I was running through this sermon last night with my wife, she's like, give it to me straight. I'm a moron, okay? I'm a moron. How do I do this? How is this possible? How is this for me? Well, one answer is Jesus did it first. Jesus did it first. Jesus is the faithful one. And some of his stuff is inside of you. Anybody who names Christ has uh, some of his stuff inside of us. He is the author of our faith, also the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews said. There's one answer. Another answer is right here in the text. It's awesome. It's awesome. Hebrews 11.4, the second part, through which Abel obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gift, gifts. Faithful worship is rewarded by divine affirmation. God testified to Abel about his gifts. Hebrews 11, uh, the first part that Anton preached on, God testified to the ancients that they were righteous. God testified to them. And if you think that this testimony somehow comes at the end in heaven, like, sorry I hung you out there to dry, but you're in heaven now, good job. No. I don't want to steal the thunder away from next week, but Enoch, the next by-faith person in this chapter, says he walked with God, and before God took him away, God testified to him. I don't know what this looks like in your life. I don't know if God will actually speak to you audibly. For some people, that's happened, and I'm not going to discount that that might happen. But what about the check in the mail, the raise that I wasn't supposed to get? Um, I ran a stoplight in, um, <laughs> in uh, St. Louis City and didn't know that y'all put video cameras, you know, on the lights. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> Just... Busted. Well, I didn't have an extra $100 this month, right? Lord, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go to the court. Judge wasn't there. No judge in this place. I'm like, well, what kind of court without a judge? Then he's like, yeah, you're right. I'll just forgive the ticket. I'm like, solid. Thank you. That can be a testimony, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know, pure providence. Um, but you see, faithful worship is rewarded by divine affirmation. Abel received a testimony from God about his gifts, about what he gave. And I don't know how long God will make you wait. Like Job, he had to wait and had to suffer, but he would not curse God. At the end of Job, he received a testimony, a whole lot more. A little bit different than what he was looking for. He's like, God, where are you? And God's like, um... Where were you when I flung the stars into the sky? You know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and I 
made the oceans and put all those wonderful things in there. You don't realize, I've got it. Not only that, Job, you'll be blessed double than what you had before. I'm not sure it's going to happen that way every time, but I do know that there's times in my life where I've had to wait, and in my worship, in my wife's worship, and us as a family where we've had to uh, hang in there, this payoff was sweet. The payoff was so sweet. You see, in faithful worship, we come to know that God is working, right? We said that we saw that God allows us to give our best. Here we see that in faithful worship, it's rewarded by divine testimony, and that gives me courage. This testimony is extremely valuable, extremely valuable. Look at what it says at the end of that verse. And though Abel is dead, he still speaks, present tense. Who is he talking to? In the book of Hebrews, the word, the Greek word used for speaking is never uh, used uh, for someone speaking to God. It's speaking to us, us, us. Abel is speaking to us. How is that possible? Yeah, he's in the scriptures. Here he is 2,000 years ago. No, he, no he's 4,000 years ago. Jesus was 2,000 years ago. Abel probably 4,000 years ago. His act of faith still speaks. And if you were to read on in Hebrews chapter 11, it's this is what our family is doing. This is what Enoch did. This is what God did with Sarah. This is what God did with Moses. And you know, I can go back to faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in my life and say, wow, I can't get it now, but he's got it. I've seen him trust God, and I've seen God come through for him. And it stands out there like a shining diamond in a black sky. It's just, it attests who is God. Westminster Shorter Catechism, sadly neglected. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, wisdom, power, justice, mercy, goodness. That is who God is. That is who I follow. And he knows me, and he loves me, and he's testified to me. And this thing I'm doing here while I'm trusting him, it hangs out there. It hangs out there, a testimony, an eternal testimony to who God is. So what do you stand for today? What moves you? What makes you move? What is the testimony about your life? What's the testimony in the life of Green Tree? I ask myself these questions. Am I in charge of this Christian thing? I'm the one who determines how far it goes. That doesn't come from a heart of faith. In that kind of approach, we will not persevere. We're not saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, your little old self. We are saying that this is in our genetic code, like the tightrope guy. This is our walk. This is what we do. This is the family blood. We work out what God has put in. We walk by faith. And you see, the reason why worship is an eternal testimony is because that is our eternal destiny. If you were to read further in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about in worshiping God, you're coming close to the mountain of fire. You're coming close to the glory of God where angels feast and fly around. And you know what? It's all about Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus and what he's done. The faithful one, the mediator of the new covenant, the one, the high priest who laid himself down, who laid his life down for us that we may know him. Hebrews 12 uh, ends like this. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and with awe because God is a consuming fire. We're saying that in faithful worship, we will see, we will know that God is at work. We said that uh, faithful worship allows us to give our best to God, that faithful worship obtains a testimony, and that faithful worship has an eternal witness, a lasting witness. So as we conclude, if you're feeling this morning like you've been run over by the train of conviction, you're feeling rather dead inside, Jesus is the place to start and his gentle love for you. The great conclusion of Hebrews chapter 11 is now consider Jesus, the faithful one. He's always there. The faith we have is not of ourselves. We are born of the Spirit by his grace, and he's there for you today. So go to him. What, does, what will our faith story look like going forward? Maybe you're not all busted today, but perhaps it's challenged. Now, I'm a faithful Christian, or I try to be. What does, it look, what does it look like for me going forward? I'm not sure. We'll need to seek God. But something like, by faith, Green Tree Church grew in their worship, their time of offering and fellowship. When they gave their time, treasure, and talent, it grew sweeter and more rich. By faith, they saw new works of God among their church, and they testified to each other about his glory. By faith, the marriages at Green Tree were challenged by the shifts in American culture and the Supreme Court. They took it as a nudge from God to work on their own marriage. May it grow in loving sweetness and be light to their neighbors. By faith, the Christians at Green Tree saw the building project as an opportunity to draw closer to one another and closer to God and to fellowship, and they sought above all things the glory of God. By faith, the members of Green Tree sought God to worship him faithfully and to know him more fully. You see, in faithful worship, in faithful worship, we come to know that God is at work. And this gives us courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. God, to you alone be all glory. To you alone be all glory in the church, in the world, now and forever. Amen.